Good morning. Good morning. Are you on here? You can hear me? All right. Everybody within the sound of my voice, have a seat, please. <clears throat> you know, or, or don't. I... <laughs> now that, so that's the teacher? Okay, let's try it. Okay, everybody, if you can hear my voice, clap once. Good. That's, if you can hear my voice, clap twice. Do you just want to do this? No? That's really, wow. Thank God for teachers. They know exactly what they're doing. Um, let, me, uh, let me just add my voice to those uh, congratulating everybody who helped out yesterday. I especially want to thank the people who showed up ridiculously early to help move stuff, as well as for all the kids who came on Friday to get everything staged in the back of the sanctuary so it could be moved out quickly. Um, and and uh, so you know what the, the deal is. We, at New Hope, we established a really, really good habit uh, from the very beginning of not having fundraisers. What I mean by that is that when we would do things that would be um, uh, in, in our community where people would pay, it wouldn't be so that we could kind of get money for our budget. It would be so that we could give it to somebody else. So uh, at, the, at the yard sale yesterday, all the rent that people paid for tables uh, is going directly to the community, uh, uh, Catonsville Emergency Assistance. Um, on the other hand, stuff that we sold that was ours, we're hanging on to the money. Um, and I believe, I'm not sure if any of the stuff we sold was New Hope's. If it was New Hope's, New Hope gets the money. Most of what we had was St. Hilda's. Uh, and, uh, and if you really had your heart set on that gigantic, ridiculous desk, um, then you can talk to Goodwill and find out where they brought it because nobody bought it yesterday. So last week, uh, we were uh, blessed to have Darcy Bissett uh, bring the word. Um, she talked uh, about this last uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians, and she talked about how her idea didn't work. She had this idea that she would be nice and normal, and then because she would be nice and normal, and people would get to know her and know her as nice and normal, then they would want to follow Jesus because they would know that she followed Jesus. And that uh, the idea was if you have a whole group of people who are nice and normal and then people in, interact with them and they say, what's your deal? And say, well, we follow Jesus, then they would, would want to follow Jesus too. The problem, as, as Darcy put it, is number one, she said, I'm not nice. Number two, I'm not normal. And number three, Jesus is crazy. So if you're trying to be a walking billboard for Jesus and you're doing nice and normal, that's false advertising, if you can pull off nice and normal, because Jesus is neither nice nor normal. I will say this. Darcy may not be nice, but she is kind. And I first got to know Darcy when Mary and I took a mission trip to Indonesia, a short-term trip that Darcy and her mom Ruth went on. Um, Darcy gave up uh, two and a half weeks of the summer before her senior year of high school to go and, and serve a bunch of missionary kids uh, over in Indonesia. Uh, I have had the privilege of knowing her you know, since then and uh, seeing her uh, not only uh, as a teenager but, but here as a leader at New Hope. And she is indeed not nice, but we don't need nice. We especially don't need nice among leaders. We need people who are kind and people who are honest. And, and Darcy is those things. 
Darcy's also not normal, and I can definitely attest to that. Uh, Darcy has the highest LSAT score, that's the law school SAT, of anybody that I know. Um, and, uh, and she is, in fact, an exceptional individual. And I do want to agree that Jesus is crazy. And if you don't think Jesus is crazy, then you have not been reading your Bible, or you have been hearing about Jesus from people who haven't been reading their Bible. Because the truth is, Jesus is constantly upending all of our expectations. And we certainly see that in this passage in 1 Corinthians. Paul says in, in chapter, chapter 2, well, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me do the run-up to that. At the end of chapter 1, uh, in the passage Darcy quoted, he said, uh, you, you know, God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. He chose that which is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Now, Paul there is quoting Jeremiah. This is, you don't have to flip back there if you don't want to, but Jeremiah in chapter 9 has this message to uh, the people of Jerusalem who are about to be kicked out of Jerusalem because they have been faithless. They've been worshiping idols. They have, have put themselves in a position where, where uh, God has removed his protection from them. They're about to be uh, besieged in a really horrific fashion. And, and God's message for them is, um, is one of hope, but it's also one of folks that you, you have this coming. He, he says, uh, Paul says, in, or Jeremiah says in chapter 9, this is what Yahweh, the Lord of angel armies, says. He says, consider now, call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. Let them come quickly and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We're going to have to leave our land because our houses are in ruins. So now, women, hear the word of Yahweh. Open your ears to the words of His mouth. You're going to have to teach your daughters how to wail. You're going to have to train one another in lamenting because death has climbed in through our windows and has entered our fortresses. It's cut off the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares say, this is what Yahweh declares, the dead bodies of men will lie like refuse on the open field, like cut grain behind the reaper with no one to gather them. This is what Yahweh says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm Yahweh who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares Yahweh. All the things that people would normally boast of, all the things you'd put on your resume, all the things that you would want people to know about you when you meet them at a party, wisdom and wealth and strength, these are all things God says that are not, in fact, to be boasted in, not even Darcy's LSAT score. You can let other people boast about it, but you better not. No, what 
and if anybody's going to boast, Jeremiah says, and Paul repeats, let him boast in the Lord. Because when I came to you, brothers, Paul says, moving on in chapter 2, I, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And, and let's be clear, Paul is somebody who could have done that, right? We, we, Paul is, I mean, we, we hear a story several times in the New Testament. Paul was a, a disciple of Rabbi Gamaliel. That's like a, a lawyer going to Yale Law School. That's, that's like somebody who's a swimmer training with Michael Phelps's coach. The, the, this, the, Paul was, was at the top of the heap. And we know from some of the things that he drops in some of his sermons and other letters, he certainly knew enough of, uh, of the pagan literature of the time, in addition, of course, to the Scripture. He certainly knew enough rhetoric. He was a smart enough guy, and he could write well enough that he would not have had any difficulty showing up in Corinth and blowing them away with his eloquence and with his superior wisdom. But he didn't do that, he said. In fact, I resolved to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, came to you in fear and with much trembling. My message, my preaching, they weren't with wise and persuasive words, but they came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. It's appropriate that we're reading this passage today. It's the Feast of Pentecost, hence the red altar cloth and the pyramid there. Um, my dress later on will be red. <clears throat> uh, the, the, the red color signifies the flame of the Spirit coming down upon God's people at Pentecost. You'll remember the story in Acts chapter 2 where uh, Jesus has, has told all of His disciples, now hang out here in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. So they are, they're all together, and suddenly this sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where the disciples were staying, and they, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They all began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the Shavuos, the Pentecost is, I mean, Pentecost is the the um, the the uh, Greek name for the the holiday, like most other things the church has that, that are that are good, we ripped it off from Judaism. the The feast is the feast of weeks. You have a week of weeks, seven times seven uh, days, forty nine days. Then on the fiftieth day, you have Pentecost or Shavuos, Shavuot, uh, which is the day in which our Jewish friends celebrate the coming uh, or the giving of of Torah on Sinai. And so you had people from all over the Jewish diaspora, all over. Jews from throughout the, the Mediterranean basin, throughout the Roman Empire, they're in Jerusalem for this great holiday. So we, we, we read in, in, uh, in Acts that they were, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, they heard the sound of these disciples speaking in their languages, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard these disciples speaking in his own language, utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? In other words, aren't these a bunch of country yokels? Uh, these, these, these are not wealthy and lettered 
and distinguished people. These people are from the middle of nowhere. We wouldn't expect them to know anything. But here, they're speaking in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arab, all of us hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. So amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what on earth does this mean? Some, because you're always going to have some of these, made fun of them and said, oh, they've just had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Peter was also not skilled in rhetoric. If you're attempting to persuade people, the first thing you don't say is, listen carefully to what I have to say. Because that basically says, you, I've already lost you, I'm begging you to listen to me. Then, he, then you don't say, let me explain this to you, because you're, you're basically uh, implying that your audience is ignorant, or as we say in Baltimore, ignorant. Generally speaking, if you start off by telling people they're ignorant, they aren't really going to want to hear what you have to say. And then finally... The fact that it's nine in the morning doesn't mean that there can't be people drunk. Paul came without words of human wisdom. Peter did not utter a perfect speech. And even Moses, you go back to Moses in, in Exodus. When, when, we, when, when God calls Moses, he says, listen, I'm going to have you be my spokesman to Pharaoh. Moses says to him, Lord, I, I've, I've never been eloquent. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't eloquent in the past, even though I grew up in, in the... the uh, the courts of, of Pharaoh, even though I, I grew up royalty, I, I had the best education, but I, I was not eloquent then. I'm certainly, I haven't become eloquent since you met me in the bush. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And Yahweh said to him, well, you know, I mean, think about it. Who gave man his mouth in the first place? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Isn't, isn't it I, Yahweh? Now go, I'll, I'll help you speak. You're going to be fine. I'll teach you what to say. But Moses says, oh Lord, here am I, send somebody else. And then Yahweh got a little chippy with Moses. He said, oh, well, how about your brother Aaron? He's got the gift of gab. In fact, he's on his way here now. He's going to be happy to see you. Tell you what, if you won't be my mouthpiece, he can be your mouthpiece. So you be my mouthpiece, you speak to him, he'll be your mouthpiece. We'll work it out that way. Again, the, the, the word of God being proclaimed to the Jewish people didn't come through somebody who was especially persuasive or glib. came through this stumbling, halting guy who, who needed functionally a translator. The point of God doing it this way, I think, is, is to make it clear that, that human wisdom is not going to get us where we need to go. Human eloquence, human persuasion, human achievement, human power. All of these things are ultimately going to fall short because what we really need is not 
the best that we can provide. It's not the best we can come up with. What we really need, as Jesus said to His disciples, was the power that you can be clothed with only from on high. That's why He didn't tell them, okay, go on out and tell everybody what the deal is. He says, no, stay here and wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. That's why Pentecost, this message of the gospel, this word about Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah, it it didn't come through people speaking this message who you'd expect to speak it. It didn't come through persuasive folks from those nationalities. And the same kind of thing with Paul, you'd think. I mean, of Paul of all people, being being this uh, this Pharisee, a distinguished student of the Rabbi Gamaliel, you'd think God would say, "Well, I'm going to send him to to Jerusalem, and he's going to he's going to uh, talk to the to the folks of the temple." No, Paul. God made Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. No, Paul. God used a bunch of unlettered country yokels to speak to the most cosmopolitan and probably the wealthiest Jews, people who could afford to take time off to go to Jerusalem for the feast. God did exactly what we wouldn't expect Him to do. Which, if you've read Scripture, seems to be His habit. You think about His choosing Israel. He says, look, we need to be clear on something. I didn't pick you because you were the most powerful. I didn't pick you because you were the most good-looking. I didn't pick you because you would be the most easy to deal with. In fact, I actually picked you because you're the most stubborn, miserable people. And when you succeed, everybody is going to know it's not because of you. I'm picking a bunch of pathetic, sad... It's it's like saying, I'm going to take the Browns to the Super Bowl and everybody's going to know it's a miracle because there's no other way they're getting there. And so the response to this, the proper response to this is the response that Peter gets. Despite his rocky start, Peter does tell the crowd that what's going on is a fulfillment of prophecy. And in fact, this Jesus of Nazareth demonstrated God's power. And despite the fact that his own, who should have received him, in fact received him not, put him to death, nevertheless, God made this Jesus who was crucified both Lord and Messiah. And so when the people heard this, when they heard Peter say this on Pentecost, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what what are we supposed to do? And Peter's response was, repent and be baptized, every last one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, it's for your children, for everyone who's far off, it's for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Because the fact is, your sins are not the sort of thing that can be dealt with by being clever enough or by being strong enough. 
You can't make yourself acceptable to God by prettying yourself up. You can't somehow talk your way into eternity. And so God, it seems, keeps bringing His messages in ways that don't let us escape the fact that it is only by the working of His power, not human wisdom, but only by the working of His power that He's able to accomplish what needs to be accomplished for us. That's why we celebrate baptism. Here at New Hope, we, we do that in the summertime. Today at St. Hilda's, another child to be baptized. But, but the idea is the same, that in baptism we're buried with Christ, Paul says in Romans, into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It doesn't make sense according to any strain of human wisdom that you achieve life by dying, does it? It doesn't make sense that you would achieve power by completely emptying yourself of it. It doesn't make sense that you would gain wisdom or insight by forsaking it. But that is exactly what God's saying here. We're buried with Christ through baptism into His death in order that just as He was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life in Him. And that's why when Paul came, he didn't come with wise and persuasive words, even though he could have. But he came to Corinth with a demonstration of the Spirit's power that our faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about that power, talking about the Holy Spirit, the way in which God exercises that. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we pray that we would be people who receive with gratitude always the gifts you've given us, the abilities and skills. We pray that we be people who steward well and develop well the things you enable us to do, but that as we do that, we would never for a moment think ourselves capable of achieving what only you can provide us. We pray that even as we exercise the gifts we have, we would recognize that the power to do those comes from you. We pray that our faith would always rest not on human wisdom, but on your power. We pray that you would always make us humble, 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 humble before your face. people who receive gratefully what you provide. Amen.